0: In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. John, chapter three, the Gospel of John, the third chapter. Today we're going to finish up this conversation here between Jesus and Nicodemus, and we we started it last week uh, in John chapter three, verse one, and we stopped at verse fifteen, and. We'll just pick up a few verses here today, but, um, I, I, and they're familiar to us, right? Uh, especially the first one is very familiar to us. Um, but as I study these verses, and even as I studied last week the, the story of Jesus talking to this man Nicodemus, I can't help but notice, there's, and we talked about it Wednesday night in our small groups here, but I can't help but notice there is this um, ramping up of Jesus' teaching to this man where he began talking about, you must be born again. And Nicodemus said, I don't get it. And then Jesus said, well, to be born again is when the spirit moves in you, and and it's like the wind blowing, and Nicodemus is still like, not sure I get it. And then Jesus gives this Old Testament illustration of Moses and these serpents in the wilderness, and Moses lifting up the stick, and people looking at it, and they're being saved. Uh, It's the Old Testament story we talked about last week. And still, you you can imagine Nicodemus like, okay, I'm starting to come around, and then, then, Jesus hits Nicodemus, I think, very plainly, very clearly with these words that have become, especially verse 16, would you agree with me, probably the most famous Bible verse of all time. And just because it's familiar to us does not mean it should be less important to us. What's that saying? Familiarity breeds contempt. That should not be the case with John three sixteen. 16. And um, I'm happy to be able to preach it to you today and if you found that verse say word we'll read 16 through 21 it says for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. I'm going to give you five uh, truths or five key points from uh, from these verses, and I'll spend a lot of time probably on the first one, and the, the, the next ones will be shorter. But let's look first at God's loving plan to give his son. Again, this is the most famous verse in the Bible, correct? John 3.16. Most of us would probably agree with that. How many of you could say, how many of you could quote it by heart, probably? Anybody? You'd raise your hands, I could probably quote it by heart, yeah. Um, That's great, and and most of us, many of us probably can. If you can't, I would encourage you to memorize it even today. Um, Martin Luther called this verse, and I like how he said it. He said this, John 3.16 is a miniature Bible. It's a miniature Bible in itself. It, It gives this gospel truth of what we need to know, and it resonates, I think, so so plainly to us because it speaks of the love of God, the sacrifice God made for sinners, and it speaks to the eternal separation between perishing and eternal life, death and life. And so it gives us so much in this one verse. But I want you to notice, and I'll hit this as we get to the end of it, but notice, try to notice how shocking this is. Again, for us it's familiar, but put your, imagine if you'd never heard the Bible before. If you'd never heard it before, this verse would be shocking. Heard of a story of missionaries that went to some far-off place you know, overseas. I can't remember what country it was. And they went and they met this people. And this people knew nothing of God, nothing of the Bible. And they had to translate, you know, get some translations going on. And, and finally they began to share the Bible story with them. But they didn't start with Jesus. They didn't start with Jesus or the New Testament. They started with Genesis chapter 1. And they started teaching these these, um, uh, people out out in the jungle, basically. They started teaching them about um, creation and Adam and Eve and then the people of Israel and all the stories that we've read in our Old Testament. And so, this is actually on video, you can actually see it. But they're teaching through the Old Testament, and the people are just very engaged. They're just listening for hours a day at these men teach them the Word of God. And and still at this point, they'd never preached the gospel, they never preached about Jesus, they never preached the New Testament. And so they get to the New Testament, and they get to John 3:16, and they begin to tell these people that God who loved that group of people, has sent His Son through that group of people, and that God is dying for people. God is sending His Son to die for people. And if you watch it, the people start getting like angry. They're shocked. They, and they jump up, they're jumping out of their seats, like, "What's going on?" They're like yelling at the preacher, "What's going on? God, God can't come and die. God's son can't come and die." And they were shocked. That that happened, we're not shocked anymore, are we? Because we know the story. But maybe this morning we need to be a little bit shocked, or at least reminded. Wow, God! What God did what for us? He gave His Son. So let's break this verse down here for a moment. Um, first, uh, there's a few things to talk about. First, it says, "For God so loved the world." And I want to focus on that word "world," and that world is is that word is often. Part of you know some type of controversy. And the idea here um, is that God loves the world, but I want you to understand that God loves in various ways. And and but let me hit the word world first before we'll I hit love. Remember who Jesus is speaking to here? Who's he talking to? Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus. What was Nicodemus Nicodemus's lineage? He was a Pharisee and he was of the Jews, right? those Jewish people believed that they were God's people and that that's who God cared about. That's who God worked for, right? And so for them to think, they didn't think God would save people outside of their group. And so he looks at this man and says, for God so loved the world. It's not just Jews, Nicodemus, that will be saved, but yet God will save people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. God will save people from all over the place. And he is expanding with Nicodemus here the scope of salvation. He's already told him in the previous verses the way to salvation, which is by faith in Christ. But now he's saying the scope of it is greater than you could ever imagine. But I want you to see that the, world, the word world does not mean that every person in the world will be saved, does it? We know that. that was, this is not a teaching of universalism, which says everyone will be saved. That's not what it's teaching. And... And so let's jump into the word world, love, and world and put those together. God loves all of his creation in a sense. Think about that. Does God love everyone? I say yes. There's some verses that speak to his care for his creation, his love for his creation. How, imagine this, this is just a present, a present day application. Do you think Vladimir Putin is an evil person? Did he wake up this morning, as far as we know, right? So he's experiencing the common grace of God by God allowing him to even wake up and breathe air and have resources, right? God gives common grace even to the wicked, even to the evil. So there is a sense, sense in which God's love is poured out to all of his creation. And that's kind of what this is talking about here, but I want you to notice something. God loves his people with a special, peculiar love. It's different. It's different. God loves his people. It's like you, right? You can love my kids if you want to. It's not easy. But, but you love your kids more, right? I can love your kids, but I love my kids more. God can, in a sense, love the world. But in a greater sense, he has a special love for his people. It is throughout scripture. Just thinking now, I didn't even write these down, but Ephesians 1. It says, in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons in Christ. He has a special care and love. And so we can say it this way. Yes, the grace of God is sufficient to save people from all over the world. But the grace of God is only efficient efficient to save those who believe in him. There's so much more we can talk about that, and I think we will Wednesday night. So I invite you to that. What did God do as a result of his love for this world? It says very plainly, right, that he gave his only son. Again, we've become used to that. We've become used to that gospel story. But as I mentioned our kids earlier, would any of you give your kid up for someone else? We wouldn't, would we? We would not do what God did. None of us would. We would gladly watch other people perish if we could protect our kids, most of us would. I read this sermon illustration this week on this verse. You ever heard the sermon illustration about the man, and it it's a true story, in the 1800s, who basically took his small child to work, and there was this train coming. You ever heard that story? I don't even know if it's even true. It feels like something preachers made up to make you cry. To make you cry. Like, I was about to cry reading this illustration, and I'm not, that's why I don't want to give it to you, because I'm not here to make you cry. But like, and the story is basically the man saves the 300 people on the train by letting his son get crushed or something like that, and I'm like, this is is not, preachers definitely made this up uh, for a story. But that is such a rare thing, even if that did happen, that someone would sacrifice their own child for others. Yet we know God gave his son, his perfect, his only begotten, his unique, perfect son, who did not have to leave heaven and come to earth, but God planned it that way and chose it that way, that he might save sinners like us from all over the world. For God so loved the world, That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him. Whosoever believeth in him. We'll talk more about this at the end, but faith is a necessary element to salvation, isn't it? To cling to Christ is necessary. To trust him is necessary. Whosoever believes does not mean that everyone will believe, but whoever does believe will be saved and have eternal life. Look at the next part. It says, um, they sh- whoever believes will not perish. Uh, I read of a, a funeral program. You know, you go to a funeral, sometimes they have like a little program that has the, the order of service and things on there. And the front of the program had John three sixteen on it. But here's what it said. It said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should have eternal or everlasting life. It left out that one part. But we can't leave that part out, can we? There's a line, right? And you're either on this side of the line or this side of the line. You trust in Christ, and you have eternal everlasting life, or you're on this side, you've not trusted, and it says there, if you do not trust, you will perish. We know what that means, don't we? Eternal judgment apart from the Lord. Look, we, we discussed this again on our small group time Wednesday, but you can be a good person. You can have characteristics of Christianity. Like, you can be a loving person, a kind person, a patient person. But if you don't love God and love the things of God, then you've never put your faith in him. And you will perish if you do not believe in Christ. That goes for all of us. That's not me being mean or negative. That's just what the Bible says. Right? That's why we preach that. And I, I implore you to turn to Christ if you've not done that. Whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. Is everlasting life only about quantity that's part of it it's forever it's also about quality isn't it forever with the lord and his eternal home is a it's qualitative and it's quantitative it's a great blessing that we can't even understand on this side of heaven on the way down here alden said where is jesus we're singing some song christian songs she said where is jesus and aubrey said he's up in heaven and no she said no she said where is jesus is he going to be at church this morning and I was like, probably not. <laughs> but, but, I, just kidding. But I was like, no. And so Aubrey answered and said, He's in heaven, you know, and and, and it's cool that at that age, she's thinking about those things, right? And we, we can't even imagine what that's going to be like to be with our Savior for eternity. But I do know this for sure it's going to be better than this. <laughs> even if you have the best life, you said, My life is amazing. Heaven is going to be better than your best day, right? By far. I wonder. As Jesus taught Nicodemus this story and emphasized that middle part there that God sacrificed or gave his son, I wonder if Nicodemus, who knows his Old Testament, I wonder if he thought about Abraham and Isaac. Remember that story? Everyone does probably. God told Abraham, go and take your son, the one you love, the one you've waited for, and sacrifice him. And remember, Abraham was going to do it. Abraham was faithful, and Abraham took him and went to the mountain, and at the last moment, God provided a, a sacrifice, another sacrifice instead. And, but Abraham was willing. Abraham was willing to do what God told him to do for, you know, to do it. I wonder if Nicodemus thought, wow, that reminds me of Abraham and Isaac. Except in this case, except in this case, right, the father gives his son and he does die for sinners. God shows, Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let's move to our second point. The second thing is that God's purpose is to pardon sinners. God's purpose in this John 3.16 gospel is to pardon sinners. I looked this up because I was curious. We always hear about presidents pardoning people, right? And I looked it up, and in the 1900s, and in the 20th century, presidents were responsible for pardoning um, over or around 20,000 people, which I thought was a lot but that's kind of interesting 20,000 people were pardoned by presidents in the 1900s and we know that means that they're they're relieved of their consequences of their conviction and that reminds us of God's purpose to pardon sinners god pardons us in a way that we are removed from the consequences of our conviction because in our sin we are guilty before god right we're guilty We can't go to God and say, well, God, I have this excuse or that excuse. No, in our sin, we are guilty, condemned. But, of course, he pardons us through Christ. This is God's heart. Look at verse 17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I want to remind you this morning that God has pardoned your sin. He has wiped it away, washed it away, cleansed it. All of it has been nailed to the cross. We know that, and this verse says it, that, and these verses say it, that those who don't know Christ are under condemnation. But we also know Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's an old song. I wonder if any, any of you remember it. I remember we sang it at churches years ago, but... It says once like a bird in prison, I dwelt no freedom from my sorrow. I felt, but Jesus came and listened to me and glory to God. Anybody know he set me free. Yes, he set me free. He broke the bonds of prison for me. I'm glory bound by Jesus to see for glory to God. He set me free. Have you been set free from the chains, the prison of sin? God does that through Christ. Let's go to our third point. Our third key point in this text, and it's this. All unbelievers are under judgment. All unbelievers are under judgment. As I studied verse 18, a movie popped into my head, um, and it's the movie The Green Mile. Have you all seen that? Tom Hanks? It's been years since I've seen it. But, so I don't remember exactly all that happens. but I remember there's the little squirrely guy I can't remember his name. He's one of the prison workers in this uh, death row. And he's taking John Coffey, the big guy, you know, to the chair or whatever. And as he walks him down the hall, what's he, what he saying? Do you remember? Dead man walking. That guy's so annoying. I want to punch that guy. But dead man walking, dead man walking, dead man. And of course, eventually Tom Hanks is like, that's enough. That's enough. But of course, he's saying that because he literally is a dead man walking. You know, he's going to his death. And. Listen, verse 18, look at it. It says, He that believeth on him, on Christ, is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he's not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. So, anyone who does not know Christ, can we say they are a dead man walking? spiritually they're walking and if they don't turn to christ and believe in christ and trust christ they are a dead man walking so who who is this who are these condemned people anyone who's heard the gospel of christ anyone who's not trusted in it that's enough evidence for condemnation again i wonder if if there's someone here who might say you know I, i think i've trusted in christ i think i know christ i think i'm i've got this stuff right in my life i think i'm a believer Again, I would ask you, do you love God? Do you love the things of God? As verse 18 says, have you really put your trust in the only begotten, Jesus Christ? Look back at verse 14 again in our text. If you'll flip there real quick. Remember last week we talked about this? As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Remember that story? The people grumble against God in the wilderness. In the Old Testament, God sends snakes to bite them. They're dying of these snake bites. It's God's judgment for their sin. And God tells, tells Moses, get a pole, put a bronze serpent on it, raise the serpent up, and tell people, if you'll come look at this, you'll be saved, right? And so we talked about last week, some of those people did not, probably did not believe it, probably didn't trust it. And so they were dead man walking and they, they died. But everyone who did believe, everyone who did trust Lived Did those people who chose not to go look did they make the right choice? No, could they have walked up there and looked at the stick at the bronze serpent? Yeah, and so God is not to blame for their death, their own trust, their own faith is to blame in that case. How about this? Another illustration that's not as good as that one, but if if you had a disease and the doctor says hey, five injections over the next few months will cure your disease. And you're like, "Uh, I'm not going to take those injections. I don't want those injections. And you died because of that disease. Who is to blame? You are. You were given the remedy, but you spurned it. You were given the, the opportunity to receive it, but you chose not to receive it. It's a cause and effect kind of situation, right? The same is true of sinners. We have... By rejecting Christ, reap judgment on ourselves. And unless we come to him in faith, to this offer of eternal life that he's given us. And everyone who hears my voice today, by the way, and, or who will be watching us, if you trust Christ, you will be saved. Now, I believe God, and I know God's only going to save a certain amount of people. He has people that he's, he's looking to save. But if you hear me and you will trust Christ, you can and will be saved. Let's go to our fourth one. Our fourth point. The fourth one is this. Look, notice the reason that people reject Christ. What is the reason? Think about it. Just think about that to yourself. What's the reason that people reject Jesus? To us who know Jesus, it seems kind of crazy that you would not want to know him too, right? Like, why don't they want to know Jesus? Why don't they want to be a Christian? Why don't they want to be a part of a church? Why don't they have the things that, that we have experienced? Well, y'all answer this to me. Do people reject Jesus because they're not smart enough? Yes or no? No. Do people reject Jesus because they're not good enough? No. Do people reject Jesus because they're too rich or too poor? Ultimately, no. Do people reject Jesus because they've had an easy life or a very difficult life? Ultimately, no. Do people reject Jesus because the church has done a lousy job of sharing the gospel? Ultimately, no. Why do people reject Jesus? Look at verse 19. And this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So let me ask you again, as you look at that verse, why do... Men, women, why do we reject Christ? And the answer is, people reject Christ because they love the darkness. They love sin. Spurgeon said, if men did not hug their sins, then they would embrace their Savior. It's pretty good, isn't it? If men did not hug their sins, they would embrace Their Savior. But you see, sinners love darkness. Sinners don't want people to bother them in their sin. Sinners don't want any light shined on their sin, right? We want to be left alone in our sin. We don't want to be made uncomfortable in our sin. But Jesus Christ is the light of the world, and He's a bright light, and He shines the light of righteousness in a way that reveals sinfulness and reveals how sinful sin truly is. If you are confronted with who Jesus Christ is, you will see how sinful your sin is. I've never talked to any Christian who has just been saved, for example, who thinks lightly of their sin. When you came to Christ, there, were, there was a moment, in, at least a moment in there, where you realized, wow, my sin is why Christ laid down his life. And you are, in my experience, many people are overwhelmed when they come to the realization of how terrible their sin is. And then we can't separate, by the way, sin from the sinner. We, we are terrible because we are sinners. We are spiritual enemies of God because we're sinners. But God pours out his love on us anyway. Have you realized how sinful your sin is? And as Christians, it should hit us even more that we say things like my friend used to pray, Lord, I thank you for saving a worm like me. You know, who, who prays like that? But do we pray like that, Lord? not? Lord, I'm saved, but I realize I was nothing and and you made me who I am. The light shines in darkness. In John 1, verses 4 and 5, we talked about this in the first of the series. It says, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness did did not comprehend it. And that is true here in John 3 as well. Let's go to our fifth point. Our final main point. And that is the response to the light. Again, he continues this theme of light. Look at verse 20 with me. It says, For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. So in 20 and 21, we see a a negative and a positive. We see those who who hate the light, and then we're going to see in 21 those who love the light. I want to repeat what uh, John MacArthur said on verse 20. And I've just said some of it, but he said uh, people do not believe in Christ because they love their sin. They don't want to come near Christ because he shines a light on their sin. He exposes their sin. Sinners love sin. It's not ignorance. It's not the lacking of basic faculties of reason. It's not misunderstanding. Sinners prefer moral darkness. Why doesn't so-and-so come to church for many people the righteousness of what the church is supposed to be is too bright for them and they can't come in because they feel guilty although what we could tell them is hey we're all guilty (laughs) this is where you need to come to have your guilt forgiven your shame you come here you know we're not judging you turn to christ and your shame and guilt and fear can all go away right have you ever have you ever done this before like, I need to pray right now, but I just can't pray because, you know, I, I've been sinning lately or something like that. Sometimes we let sin keep us from praying. Or how about this? Some of you, some of us, may not read the Bible because we know if we start reading this, it's going to condemn some of the things we're doing in our lives. Or it's going to, again, shine a bright, this is a, the, the Bible is a big spotlight, and it shines right into your heart and it can show you exactly what you need to do or don't do, right? And sometimes, is it possible some of us avoid prayer, Bible, church, because we don't want our darkness exposed, even as believers to, to, to a degree? And what happens is when someone does that, it becomes this negative, this negative snowball effect. Where you you get out of church for a while and then it becomes easy to stay out of church. Or you get out of the word for a while and it becomes easy to stay out of the word. And I want to tell you, church, we don't need this negative snowball effect. We need a positive effect. Look at verse 21. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought or carried out in God. Now, when it says here, he who practices truth, this speaks to a habitual lifestyle of righteousness. None of us are perfect. This, I like what one writer said, this verse is not about perfection, it's about direction. Think about that, put that in your brain. Being a Christian... From our perspective, it's not about perfection, although Christ was perfect, we're not, but it is about direction. He has given us his perfect righteousness, but we direct ourselves toward him, and we want to live lifestyles that are righteous as best we can. How many of you would say this morning, I'm a Christian, and I'm just knocking it out of the park. I'm walking in the light as as he is in the light. I am you know what? I'm, I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> Most of us probably wouldn't say that. As a matter of fact, the people closest in this room to God would probably say the opposite. Because the closer we get to him, the closer we are to the light, again, the more we can see any darkness that might be, remain in us. The people closest to God might even think they're farther away than the others. <laughs> and that's the, that's the mindset we want to have. And then Here's what happens. The closer, and I'm going this way for some reason, but the closer we get to God, the light shines on us, and, and, and it shows us good things. It also shows us negative things. It, rem- it reminds us and it tells us the only way I can stay close to God, the only way I can know God better is to rely on something outside of myself, and that is to rely on him and the Holy Spirit and his word and the church that I might stay near the light. Matthew 3.8 says, Bear fruit, keeping with repentance. Ephesians two ten says God has prepare, prepared works for us that we would walk in them. John fifteen eight says uh, it says My Father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and prove to be My disciples. Church, I'm I'm trying to challenge you to get closer to the light, to run from darkness and run toward the light, even though sometimes it might be painful. It's always better to be nearer to God, Near, nearer to the cross, nearer to the church, nearer to the spirit, nearer to the word. So in these verses, if you'll look back with me, in verse 16, it says that whosoever believeth in him, then look with me in verse 18, it says he that believeth on him. And then it says, again, the word believeth there, believe. We see it, I think, three or four times there in these verses. And I want to explain this word believe for just a moment. And we use these usually together, believe, belief, faith, trust. Those are the words that we use most commonly. Um, I want to show you something, and I hope you know this, but Being a Christian does not mean at one time in your life you believed, but that you no longer believe. Every time this word believe is used here from the words of Jesus and when John wrote this, it is written in a present tense. So a Christian is someone who believed at one point, they began to believe, but they continue to believe. That's why if you come to me and say, I've been, I've been doubting my salvation, and this happened probably, I don't know, eight months ago. I talked to one person who said, you know, I'm, not, I'm just a little, have some doubts. My first question was not, well, you're a member of the church, you're fine. Or, have you been baptized? My first question was, do you believe in Jesus Christ? <laughs> if you don't believe in him now, you didn't believe in him then. Because God, when he gives us faith, that faith does not go away. It's called perseverance of the saints. God gives it, he gives us grace, and we don't lose it. Now, our faith can sometimes be weaker or stronger, depending on maybe what we're going through in life, but the word believe here in John 316 if you'll put that back up there in John three 16, the word believe there is, for God so loved the world in this way that he gave his only begotten son, and whosoever believes in him, who believes in him, not believed, or not just believed with their minds, again, we know the the, the, the demons believe in Jesus, right? But they don't trust him. Do you believe in Christ? Do you really believe in him? Let me give you this illustration as I come near the end here. But I've told this before. But there was this famous tightrope walker called Blondin. And some of y'all heard this. But he was, he, he's known years ago for walking over Niagara Falls. Which I think is insane. He would walk a tightrope over Niagara Falls. Anybody ever been to Niagara Falls before? I've never been, but nobody's ever been to Niagara Falls. Okay, thank you. Michelle's not here to make a joke, so. Uh, he walked over on a tightrope. Then he would walk over it blindfolded, which is pretty that's crazy, right? Then he would get on stilts and walk across it. Insane, right? So then he would get, like, his manager, which is like, a tough gig, and he'd put him on his back and carry him across the, uh, the tightrope. If I was that manager, I'd be like, I'm out. <laughs> you can keep my 10%. And so the story is told that one day, when he's doing this, he turns to a man in the crowd and he says, "Sir, do you believe that I can walk over this tightrope with with you on my back?" And he's like, "Yeah, you could do it. You know, you could do it." And he's like, "Great." He said, "Hop on." <laughs> What'd the man do? No way, right? No way. But he he had seen it. He believed that it could be done. But was he willing to hop on? There are, that's such a dumb illustration. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) But listen to this. There are people sitting in church today who believe that there is a Jesus who existed. And they might even believe some of the Bible. And they might believe God can do great things. But there are people sitting in churches just like ours, all over the place, who believe a lot but who've never actually hopped on before. Who've never said, I'm going to let go of everything else, and I'm going to cling to Christ alone for salvation. And that's what salvation is. It is believing and trusting and clinging to Christ and and getting rid of everything else in a sense as far as how you are saved. God's love for us through Christ in this verse is is or should be shocking, that God would, in his love, save his enemies. God, in his love, saved his enemies. But for that love to become effective and effectual in you, you have to hop on. You have to believe. You have to trust. You have to cling to Christ alone. We're going to try something different as we can conclude. And you, you can stop that if you don't do Paul. Try something different. This is unplanned.